The scripture reading this morning will be from Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21. That can be found on page 1039 in the Pew Bibles. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory of the in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever. Amen. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. and We hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We look forward to this Sunday evening. Usually on fifth Sundays of the month, we have a singing. But tonight, we're going to have our very own circuit riders stay at home. Oftentimes, they go to other uh, churches of Christ in the area on Sunday evenings, and they lead worship service. And this is made up of our uh, young men in our youth group. But tonight... Uh, they will teach or you know, preach for us and lead singing and read scripture and lead prayers. And we are very thankful for them and look forward to this. I think about also that today is the last day that Alan Cantrell will be with us tomorrow. He'll be moving to Minnesota to begin a full-time work in ministry there and his fiance Liz. And uh, it was just a few years ago that Alan was a part of the circuit riders and then decided to go to Fried Hardeman and major in Bible and uh, will begin tomorrow uh, in full-time ministry. And we're thankful for Alan and we're thankful for this good ministry. And uh, Doug Williams leads this uh, circuit riders ministry and we're thankful for all that he does. Thinking about our youth today also is the first Sunday that our interns for the summer are here and there'll be more said about them later, but we welcome both of the Abbeys and Austin and Daniel. And keep in mind, parents and youth that are 6th through 12th grade. Tonight is the big summer blowout. After evening service, you'll be invited to a meal in the fellowship room. And during that meal is going to be a feast of information. Everything that you need to know about the summer, all the opportunities that your, your youth can be involved in will be explained and give you the opportunity also to learn more and to ask questions. So don't miss that. Now, Speaking of youth younger than that, sixth and under Vacation Bible School is coming up in less than a month. It's June the 22nd, but right now is the time to register. So if you haven't gone online yet and registered your child, please be sure and do that. If you have grandkids or nephews or nieces or friends that come in from other towns for our Vacation Bible School, we have several that do that, be sure and give them a call this afternoon and let them know uh, the reminder to go online and register their kids also. Also, very important, timely announcement. Stateside is just around the corner. It'll be in July. We're going to Bartlett, Tennessee, just outside of Memphis, but 
this afternoon at 5 o'clock, we'll begin the information slash training sessions. Uh, our stateside campaigns are a wonderful way for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have a lot of adults and youth that participate in that every year. Please make note to be here at 5 o'clock in the fellowship room. And from 5 to 545 uh, will be our first of six training sessions. Also, last week we announced to you in rejoicing that Howard and Carol Williams were baptized into Christ. We mentioned to you that Carol was very seriously ill. Uh, she passed away this week, and uh, we rejoice in the great hope that uh, she has. Uh, but also, Howard has asked us to pass on to you as a congregation uh, huge thanks for all the cards that they received. Uh, from this congregation just this past week and the great encouragement that it has been to them. Connecting for life. There's something inborn within us that we love heroes. We love to see success. We love to see people that are better at what they do than maybe anybody else that has ever lived. Well, I know we could argue about who is the best, and that's not the purpose of these next few illustrations. But Franz Liszt is considered one of the greatest classical pianists to ever live. Jack Nicholson is considered one of the greatest actors to ever live, having an Oscar nod in every decade from the 60s to the present. Joe Montana is considered one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever live, having four Super Bowl appearances with 11 touchdowns and no interceptions. Bodacious is considered the greatest bucking bull that has ever lived. So good at what he did in 95 and 96, he was retired because he was so good. Riders couldn't ride him and they continued to be injured in trying. We also think about Louis Sear, the strongest man who ever lived. It's documented with eyewitnesses. He could lift 500 pounds with one finger he could lift over 4,300 pounds that would be resting upon his back. If we want to go a little bit short term and more immediate, perhaps one of the greatest catches this season in softball was in the Tennessean this past week. Some of you may have noticed Brooke Eakes in a state championship softball game at Friendship this past weekend, robbing a home run while falling over the outfield fence. Einstein is considered the greatest mind. Pat Summon is the greatest coach that college basketball has ever known. When we think of these greats, what naturally happens, we lift them up. We talk about their successes. And when there's big victories, the coaches are put on the shoulders and the players carry them off of the field. Or at the end of, of a, a classical pianist concert where our minds and our hearts are blown away, there's that standing ovation oftentimes for minutes upon minutes. Why? There's something inborn within us that we love to see success and greatness. And I can't help but think maybe a part of that is because within our heart, God created us to have some kind of understanding of God, the greatest who he is and has ever been and will be. God is the one, the ultimate one, that is worthy of all praise, all adoration. It is interesting when we study in Ephesians, the second and third chapter, 
Paul has been writing some beautiful and somewhat deep teachings about the church. But he continually talks about the church as a part of God's eternal plan. And so part of the time, it sounds like he's talking about God, but he's talking about God as it relates to the church. Some of the time, it seems like he's talking about Christ, but he's talking about Christ as, as he relates to the church. And then finally, by the time we come to the end of the third chapter, it's as if Paul just couldn't help himself. And he's given all this beautiful, powerful teaching about the church. And, and then he says, this is the reason I bow my knees. And he records the prayer of praise. As he's bowing his knees, he's lifting the Father up on high to say, look what he's accomplished. Look at who he is. Look at the difference he's made in my life. Truly, we can't praise individuals or their accomplishments until we get to know something about the individual and their accomplishments. Today in this audience, there may be someone here that says, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't really get what you're saying. I don't really know how to praise God. It's not because there's something wrong with you. It's simply because you haven't studied about the accomplishments of God. It's that you haven't really gotten to know God. Listen, I know people say, I can go out in nature and I can connect with God. Well, of course, in nature, you can see the fingerprints of God, and that's beautiful. But listen, until you read and study what Ephesians 2 and 3 says are the mysteries of God revealed, until you read and study and learn about God and what he has accomplished with Christ and through the church, we'll never truly know how to praise God. And once we have learned that, we can't help but praise God. With that in mind, I'd like for you to look at Ephesians, the third chapter, and I want you to remember that we recently looked at Ephesians 3 and 2 where he says, to the intent that now... The manif now notice, to the intent. In other words, what's the purpose here? What's the intention here? To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God, notice that, manifold wisdom of God, might be made known how? By the church to the principalities and powers and heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The manifold wisdom of God that's going to be made known by the church some translations actually translate that manifold. It means variation. It means multiple. They also translate it iridescent. Now, on this next slide, we see a picture of what iridescent is. You see it. Iridescent is multiple colored, but it's also multiple colors, not in clean, distinct lines. The idea is one flows into another. Do you realize that the wisdom of God is amazing? It varies so much. And one aspect of God's wisdom flows into another aspect of God's wisdom. And someone says, I don't see how we could ever understand the wisdom of God. And God says, I'm trying to tell you, if you really understand what the church is, who the church is, and how the church is a part of this eternal plan of God, he says, it is by the church that I am going to show Principalities and powers are going to be able to know the wisdom of God by the church. Whether it's angels that are the good angels of God that are looking over the brim of heaven 
or if it's the angels that are being held in chains that have rebelled against God and they're waiting for the, the judgment and the condemnation of God, it doesn't matter which principalities and powers that it is, all of them can look at the church and all they can do is say, wow, look what God has done. Look how he's redeemed mankind. Look at the eternal plan that he has for man. And that is what gets us very close to the 14th verse where finally Paul says, I've just got to bow my knees. I've got to tell you why I pray lifting up God. But please note this. When we read in Ephesians, the third chapter in verse 20, notice he says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Do you notice that what God is able to do is a present and future tense? In other words, what I'm saying to you that what we read back in the third chapter and back in verse 10 about the manifold wisdom of God being made known in the church is not past tense. It's not, do you want to see the wisdom of God? Go visit a museum. And in this museum is this archaic wisdom of God. And you can see what God did at one time. No, here he's saying, look what God is continuing to do. He is able. Right now, if, if we brought up 4,000 pounds and we said, what man can, can be like Louis Sear? And what man is able to lift up this upon his back? We probably would say, there's no one here that has that much what? Power. There's no one here who is able to do it. What is God able to do? What does God have the power to do? I'd like for us to take this phrase here in 3 and 20 and just expand and allow it to expound itself. Look in 3 and 20. He is able to do what? Exceedingly. Now, the word exceedingly means above and beyond. Imagine if there is a limit and you exceed it. God is able to do exceedingly. He is able to do above and beyond, but he didn't stop there. He says he's able to do exceedingly abundantly. The word abundantly means superior. So God is able to do, he's doing it today, he's able to do it, and he's able to do beyond what we could ever imagine, and he's able to do it in a superior way beyond what we're able to imagine. But notice, he also says, above all that we ask or think. And the word above in the Greek is the very same word that was also translated exceedingly into English. Because exceedingly means what? Above and beyond. So he's saying God can do exceedingly, above and abundantly, superiorly. He can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ask or imagine. I, I, just, I just can't imagine all that God can do. You can't imagine all that God can do. We don't even have to fully understand all that God can do working in our lives. All we do is what? Connect with him for life. We connect with him through his church for life and God will take care of the rest. I know I've used this illustration before, but I don't know of a better illustration for us than this. 124 years ago, there were two families riding horseback back from a long ride to a worship service in the neighboring community. And one of them said, we need a church in Mount Juliet. And one says, I'll give the thicket beside the creek if you'll build the building. 
The other one says, well, I'll build the building. You give the thicket then. They built it. Now, what if we could say to those two families that loved the Lord, they loved his church, and they wanted a place in their home community to worship? What if we could say to them, do you know what God is going to be able to do through what you did? What if we could tell them the thousands and thousands of people that would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ on that little thicket over the next 124 years, they would never believe you. What if you could say, let me just tell you 124 years from now what that little church in that thicket is going to look like on any given Sunday. <laughs> no, no, there, there, there's no way. There's not that many people in Mount Juliet. Can you imagine if we today could turn around to those two families and if we could just talk to them, you know how it happened? Two families aligned themselves with the manifold wisdom of God and they were faithful. And God's power was able to accomplish more than they could ever ask or imagine. You don't know what God has planned for the future generations in your family. You don't have to know. Just connect with him and with his church for life and God will take care of the rest. We don't know as a church family all that God has planned for us. But you know what? We can praise him and we can lift him high because we know that he has more than we can even ask or imagine. Because of that, it leads Paul to a magnificent doxology, which is the idea of doxology is usually a song of praise, or in this case, it's a prayer of praise, and it's usually short. And that's what Paul does here. So you notice we just read Ephesians 3 and 20. I'd like for us to now look at 3 and 20, but then notice verse 21. And since we just read 20 for time's sake, we're going to go right into 21. And notice this doxology. The doxology, his praise is... To him be glory. Glorious idea of brilliance, brightness. It's the idea of esteeming, and we would say today, putting in the spotlight. It's the idea of look how bright and brilliant God is. Why does God deserve the glory? Because his brilliance and his brightness is seen in his infinite perfection. Listen, one of the reasons you and I admire a sunrise or a sunset is because God's perfection is at work there. The reason we admire when we see God working in our lives is because we see what happens when we live life on our own. We kind of make a mess of it, don't we? And then when we say, God, instead of me directing and messing up my life, what about if I submit to you and I allow you to direct my life and we see the wisdom of God working in our life and we can't help but say, God, I wouldn't have done it that way because I'm not smart enough. My glory, my brilliance is not infinite perfection, but yours is. To him be the glory. But notice as we continue on this very same phrase, to him be the glory what? In the church. You see, he's back to that again of connecting it to the church. God wants us. Now, are you listening? And I want especially anybody here that's tempted to think the church is irrelevant. I, give me God. Give me Christ. I just don't have time for church. I don't want the church. Church is not convenient. 
Notice when you read Ephesians 2 and 3, you can't separate God and his church. You can't separate Christ and his body, the church. If you want to give glory to God, God says you're going to have to do it in the church. If you want to give glory to me and to my manifold wisdom, you're going to have to see my manifold wisdom by the church. We've studied recently how the church is a part of this eternal plan. God's church is so much more than just a group of people that get together in a community on a regular basis. God's church is the depth of the manifold wisdom of God. And so in this doxology, Paul can't help but say, he's the one we're glorying. To him be the glory, where? In the church. The church is always going to glorify him. But notice, in the church, what's the next phrase? By Christ Jesus. The church would have nothing to glory of if it weren't for Christ because we wouldn't exist. We wouldn't be saved. We wouldn't be added to his body. If the church is a hospital for sinners, what does a hospital need? You rush over this afternoon to an emergency room because you have been in an accident and someone with a clipboard checks you in and you're thankful for them and they walk you over to an examination room and they hold you there and after a good long while, you finally find the person with the clipboard again. You say, I've not seen anyone, I need a doctor. And they say to you, oh, we don't have doctors here. You're, you're gonna give me a hospital with no doctor? The church cannot be separated from the great physician to him be the glory in his hospital by the physician that makes this hospital possible. My life spiritually could not be helped if it were not for Jesus Christ. Your life could not be helped if it were not for Jesus Christ. It is Christ that brings us all together in the church. Glory be to God for what has been accomplished in our lives individually and collectively and the church realizes that. The church is the existence of that. The church shows the manifold wisdom of that. And we realize that it's only by Christ that that could be done. But notice the next phrase. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. Yes, we love to lift high the heroes, the ones that do things great. What if today if we ask our young people, hey, who's the greatest singer? And they give some name and, and, and we say, oh, no. It's Michael Jackson. They'd be like, oh, no, no, yeah, really. He had, he had 37 weeks consecutively that, that he had a song number one on the charts. He had a year and a half that, that the song was in the top 10. And you know what they would still say? So? Didn't mean anything to us. Why? Because the things that we typically love and admire, they're generational. What about God, the doxology to God? To him be the glory in the church by Christ forever and ever. For 2,000 years, there's not been a generation that hasn't been powerfully touched by the church. The only answer for you is going to see the manifold wisdom of God through the church. The only answer for your children is going to be to see the manifold wisdom of God through his church. The only answer for your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, and 10 generations removed will still be the same thing. 
Here we are in the 21st century. If you fast forward to the 25th century, it will be the same, same thing. To him be the glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations. So what provokes this magnificent doxology? It seems to be two things in these passages, and we can make a sermon about each one of them. So I simply read them to you with brief comments. We're going to see the power of God and the love of God. Read with me about the power. If you'll notice in the third chapter, in verse 7, Paul uses that very same word, power, where he says, of which I became a minister according to the gifts of the grace of God given me by the effective working of his power. In other words, what Paul is saying there is, I wouldn't have the opportunity to be saved and be a Christian, and I wouldn't be in ministry if it were not for the power of God. You know, other passages, he talked about himself being chief among sinners. He talked about himself being one that persecuted the church. And so you say, Paul, how could you go from all that to being a great minister in the church? And he would say, only by the power of God. What is God able to do? What power does God have? God has the power to save a man like Saul and allow him to be a powerful minister in his kingdom. But it doesn't just stop with Saul. Look in Ephesians 3 and verse 16, that he would grant you, now notice this word according, according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might, and the Greek word there is the same word that's translated power in the other places, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. We are made up of two parts, the outer man and the inner man. The outer man, according to 2 Corinthians uh, verse, fourth chapter, verse 16, Paul says the outer man is perishing day by day. But then he says in that passage, the inner man is being renewed. How can the inner man be renewed? This verse right here teaches us how the inner man can be renewed. God gives us through his Holy Spirit power so that we can grow stronger and stronger all the time. The maturation process for the inner man is to be stronger and stronger. But it's according to what? According to the riches of his glory. I want you to imagine that a billionaire is over here and you need help with a utility bill. And you go to this billionaire that's your rich uncle and you say, look, I've got myself in a bind. I've got a $200 electric bill. Is there some way that you could help me with it? And the billionaire uncle pulls out a dollar bill and says, be glad to help you. Now the question is, did they give you something? Did they help you? Yeah, they gave you something. And they helped you just a little bit. All right, now let's say that on another scenario, this billionaire uncle, you come and you explain to him that you need help with a $200 tilted bill, and the, the, the billionaire uncle says, ooh, I hate you going through such a tough time. Let me write you a check. And by the way, how much is your, is your mortgage? How much you owe on your house? Oh, oh, another $200,000. Let me, let me go ahead and write that out too so you'll be out of debt there. And you go and you tell your friends, you're like, you're not going to believe this. My rich uncle just paid my utility bill at my whole house. And you know what your friend's going to say? How can he do that? Oh, it was according to his riches. He has billions of dollars, and because he has so much, he can give so much. Do you see what Paul is saying about the power that comes into the church? He doesn't just say God gives some power. He says he gives it according to the riches of his glory. God can do so much for the church because of 
how much God has. And that's what leads to this doxology in the third chapter, verse 20. Now to him who is able, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask according, see that's that word according to what? The power that works in us. It's according to his power. And so when we think of the great expectations, do you realize that just as we could look at the acorn and say, you know what God expects out of that acorn? He expects a mighty oak tree. And we would say, if we'd never seen a seed grow into an oak tree and we never heard of that before, we would look at the acorn and we say, that can't happen. Oh yeah, it can. God designed it that way. Look into your life and look down eternity. Look in the life of the church family and look down eternity. We're holding an acorn and, and ultimately what we're saying is, do you realize the power that God has within us? I want that power. I want to accomplish whatever God wants me to accomplish. What do I need to do? Connect for life. That is the power that stirs Paul. But the second thing is the love. Look at Ephesians 3 and 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being what? rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, what is the length, what is the depth, what is the height to know the love of Christ. He says, it's going to be tough, but try to comprehend it. Do you know how wide God's love is? You know how long God's love is? You know how deep? You know how high God's love is? You need to try to comprehend that. That's what we're rooted in. That's what we live in. That's why we're saved. It's because of his great love that he saved us. He says, you need to know the power of God. And then he turns right around. He talks about the love of God. And he brings together this wonderful storm, if you will, of the love and the power of God intermingled. And then he cries out that praise, that doxology, to him be the glory. Perhaps if there have ever been words written by men that have described the love of God any better, perhaps it's in the words that we sometimes sing the love of God. Frederick Lehman found to me what's the powerful portion of these words in an insane asylum written on a wall. And he took those words and he wrote this song right here. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forever endure the saints and the angels' song. And here's the part that he got off the wall. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on every on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. To God be the glory in his church by Christ to every generation forever and ever. What I learned today, number one, that God deserves to be praised more than anyone and the church should excel at doing this. Number two, I learned that the depth and height and length and width of God's love passes understanding, but I must give my best and try to comprehend Christ's love. Number three, the power of God will work in us beyond what we can imagine if we will just connect for life in the church. Number four, 
God's power and God's love must stir us to praise him. Today, is there anything we can do to help you take steps closer to God? Is there anything we can do to help you see how God will work in your life? You haven't done something so bad God won't forgive you. You haven't done something so bad that God doesn't love you. There's still great and ultimate hope in your life. Are you living for God? There's no greater decision that we could ever make than to be a faithful child of God connected into his eternal purpose, the church. If you're ready this morning to be baptized into Christ or you need to be restored back into his fellowship, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand.